some things. So some of the things I share at the beginning of service, I want to share just briefly a couple things tonight, even in the sermon, which I feel are relevant. But tonight, I'm going to pray here in just a second, but tonight I want everybody to give me your best ear. This is, you know, I preach a lot of sermons. This will be a little more in the way of teaching, and there's going to be some reading straight from scripture tonight, kind of line upon line. But I think that this is a powerful sermon that's really going to speak to you tonight. So, Lord, we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. We thank you Lord, for the power of your word. Lord, we love the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, his presence and power in our lives and our churches. But, Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We desperately need your word taught and preached without compromise. And I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to help us to be good, fertile soil for what you're speaking to us, what you're doing. Even now, as you speak to me, everything that needs to be said is living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. I thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you for the winds of your spirit carrying this out among the nations. Your word will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to and everything accomplished in and through this time of the word that you will to be done. We thank you for it now. We believe it. We expect it. And Lord, we agree to go as the church. If there's anything of the enemy that's trying to hinder this word, we command it in Jesus' name to be bound and leave right now in Jesus' name. We break your power. And I thank you, Lord, that the word of God will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We believe it tonight. We're in agreement about that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm dealing with Babylon, the harlot church. Babylon is a name that the, the Bible gives the Antichrist system in the last days. And then the harlot church, the reason why I'm talking about that, there's a lot I could say about the, the whore of Babylon, but specifically what I'm going to be dealing with in this series has to do with a counterfeit Christianity, something that's mixture, and I'll touch on that tonight, but we're, we're going to get there eventually. But tonight, I really want to get into this subject, the clash of power. Now, let me explain what I mean. I don't mean political power or something like that. There's a clash. Let me tell you, I, I, ever since God really came upon my life years ago and, and anointed me, there began to be a clash of power between what was on my life now from the Lord and with demonic power. And so you begin to pray for people on the altar, and all of a sudden there's a clash whenever the enemy's been at work there. And they need to be healed or delivered, which, by the way, the dad was telling me like recently got healed from some stomach thing. I don't want to get into a lot of details there, but it had been something that was really getting concerning. And God healed him here. You know what that is? That's we just simply prayed. That's the clash of power, the power of God invading and bringing healing. There's been other people tell me they felt God has liberated them from some things that have been coming against them. You know what that is? A clash of power as God's power destroys and drives away the enemy's uh, power. So I want to talk about clash of power tonight, and we'll get there as well. But I'm going to read some out of the word, and I really felt the Lord put in my heart that we're going to kind of line upon line read a lot of scripture tonight. So I printed it. It'll be in the notes for those that are live streaming. 
You may not have it, but you can follow along and or just listen. But whenever you go to sermon.net, you can look us up and podcast us through there, but there's always notes. So if you're going through iTunes, you may not get the notes, but if you go through sermon.net, there's always notes. And why is that important? A lot of people really get a lot out of the notes because you can print them off and read them. You can teach from them. So anyway, I'm going to dive into this tonight. Number one, let's look at Revelation chapter 17. Is it okay we talk about some end time prophecy as well? The Bible says this, starting with verse one, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke to me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits upon the waters. Now, the waters is symbolic of the nations, the, the mass, the sea of humanity. And so this, this prostitute, this great prostitute, this is the whore of Babylon. This, I believe, is the Jezebel spirit, but it is a spirit that is going to have great power and influence in these last days. And it says this, and I hope you all get the symbolism here. It says, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of sexual immorality. Now, please hear me what I'm saying here. In the Bible, when it's talking about it in this context, it's not talking about actual sex acts. What it's talking about is this that they're committing idolatry. So God is always presented it this way when speaking of Israel. He said that you have been unfaithful to me. You've committed adultery against me by worshiping other gods. And so in the Bible, when it's saying here that there's acts of sexual immorality, the kings of the earth with this great whore of Babylon, what it's saying here is this, this great whore of Babylon is causing people to forsake and be unfaithful to God, their creator, and to worship other gods, idols. That's what it's saying, okay? And so it's saying the kings of the earth are basically idolaters, and this spirit is causing them to do this. And it says this, and those who live on the earth became drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. You know what that is? I'm going to move quickly because I don't want to get bogged down, but that's there's a, a strong spirit, a strong seducing spirit that's going to seduce the people of the world to worship the Antichrist and his image. That's what it's saying here. And it, it is a strong seduction there. And then it says this, on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the Great, but think about the word mystery. Why is this a mystery? Have you ever noticed that there's good mysteries? You remember how the Apostle Paul would say, behold, I tell you a mystery? Okay, there's good mysteries. There's things that seem to be reserved for down the road that were revealed to us at a certain time from God. But I believe that this mystery, there, there's a, a place I'm going to read tonight that says the mystery of lawlessness. And it's like there's a mystery of iniquity or something. But the reason it says the word mystery there is because none are really seeing it for what it is. Did you know the word occult means hidden? There can be some kind of a veil. Sometimes God needs to kind of rip a veil of sorts from our eyes so we can see things that we just couldn't see on our own. And I believe that's what this is saying here. There's going to be some type of a deception. 
that's going to go over people's minds, over their eyes. They're not going to see this for what it is. And they're going to be seduced by it. And the mystery written on this whore of Babylon's head is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. So the mother of prostitutes, remember, this is like a mother spirit of all the seducing spirits that are seducing people away from God into things that are, God would call abominations. So what, what are scriptural references to things that God would consider abominations? Shedding innocent blood, various forms of sexual immorality, especially homosexuality, uh, witchcraft and occult practices, things like that. God says these things are abominations, right? So this spirit is like a mother spirit and all the seducing spirits of the world are seducing people not only into acts of immorality, which is idolatry, but also into abominations. So they're doing things that God considers an abomination unto him, okay? And then it says this, and I saw this woman, this is the whore Babylon here, I saw her drunk with the blood of the saints. You know what that is? Widespread martyrdom. This spirit also is going to be pervasive with the extermination of the righteous, martyrdom. And so think, go back in time to the woman Jezebel in the days of Ahab. What was she doing? She was being used of the devil to seduce Israel into the worship of other gods, into various types of abominations. And at the same time, what was she doing? She was killing the prophets. And so it says this, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, when I saw her, I wondered greatly. So I want you to see that I believe personally that these spiritual forces are already at work very powerfully in the world. It's already happening. And so that's why I'm preaching along these lines to help remove any type of, of veil that, you, that all of us can see what we need to see. Now, there's an emerging apostate church, a harlot church. You know what's crazy is this. The Bible predicted these days and we're seeing them with our very eyes right now. Did you know just recently, I mean, this happened a couple weeks ago, that there was a, a worship event here in Dallas, and at the end of it, this, this person got up. I believe they call themselves a pastor, but this is really going viral because people are upset, and this person made this statement. He said, God, this is what he said. Now, hear me. He said, God is not here to change your sexuality. He's here to change your mentality, and he was pro-LGBT. See, that right there, that type of false teaching is demonic. And here's what it, the Bible predicted in 1 Timothy 4.1. They would be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And listen, if, if people don't call this guy out, nobody's, nobody's doing anybody a favor by being passive or just trying to be nice about that. Okay, I'm saying it lovingly. I'm not angry at him, but... But at the bottom line is this, he needs to publicly repent of that and he needs to change his mentality to line up with the Bible or quit calling himself some type of pastor or even some type of Christian 
and just be honest with what he really is, okay? Because he's not a man of God, but he needs to get up and repent publicly and ask people's forgiveness for saying that because he's, that type of teaching will lead many people to hell. It's deceiving. All right, so 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 3 predicts those type of people. It says that there will come a time that people will not want sound doctrine, but will hire unto themselves, gather unto themselves uh, preachers that will just tell them what their itching ears want to hear. That's what I'm talking about when I say there's, there's pre people out there calling themselves pastors, teachers, whatever, and they're teaching things that are telling people what their itching ears want to hear. But in some cases, it goes directly against the word of God, which doesn't even make any sense because if there's, if there's something in the Bible that God's clear about is his very strong feelings against homosexuality. This is not some obscure scripture hidden somewhere in a book like Leviticus that few people ever read. I mean, this is something that is very clearly laid out in many places of scripture like romans 1 1 corinthians 6 9 i think about what sodom and gomorrah the story there through the the law the prophets that god condemned these things so for somebody to get up and talk about that but here's here's what i'm seeing as i read last week and i'll read again this week there's a scripture in thessalonians that predicts that the coming of the lord will not take place until there is a falling away and of course the antichrist rises so there has to be a falling away now we're seeing this apostate type of church emerge and this has been going on for the last couple decades and in particular i believe that many times before the devil starts doing things god will send revival god sent a major move in the 90s to prepare us for these times and now we're in them and here's what I'm seeing. There's a group of people out there emerging that, number one, they do not require a new birth. That's the biggest problem right there. I'm all for somebody bringing someone here to church to get saved. I mean, we'll witness to them. I'll, I'll pray for them, do everything I can. But listen to what I'm saying. If they're coming week in and week out, months, years, and they never get saved they're not really born again they're just attending and you and you're preaching like that to a mixed audience of people that some of them are saved and a bunch of them aren't that's a serious problem because the church is supposed to be a gathering of believers i'm all for witnessing we do we've always been out on the streets witnessing that's that's always been there I'm a product of Steveville's ministry. I mean, I've always had a heart for souls, and thank God that, you know, Touching Arts is getting out there as well. But we're doing so much, and we always have. And people can come. I'll, I'll preach to them. But I'm going to tell you that if they're not going to get saved and they're not interested in a new birth, they're not going to last here for six months, six years, or something like that. It's not going to happen. Because eventually they're going to get offended and leave because I'm not going to water down the message to accommodate them. So, number one, they don't require a new birth, and you're seeing that in a lot of places now. Number two, they do not adhere to the Bible as the infallible Word of God Almighty. They don't. I think that they view the Bible as suggestions or something. 
and maybe even critique it and act like it's not real or that maybe it's been messed with or something. But there's definitely a downplay there because if we really believe the Bible and we take it seriously, I really feel this way. I don't believe that the generation today is really taking the Bible serious like the previous generation did. I don't. I think that their doctrine is almost like out of social media and reading memes or something. They really don't study it out and know the word and take it really serious and live it. You know, I've seen groups of people that profess Christianity but handle things so unbiblically. Recently, something had come up, and this had nothing to do with this church, nothing like that, but if, if some of the people that got offended had just simply gone obeyed the Bible, Matthew 18, gone to a person that they were upset with and talked to them, it would have ended there, but they didn't. They wanted to, to go against what the Bible says and start a malicious slander campaign, which hurt a lot of people and sowed discord among the brethren. The very thing God says he hates, it, the Bible says this, I hate the ones, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, I hate the one that sows discord among the brethren. And God, God said, he's so serious about these malicious slanderers. In 1 Corinthians 5, he said, look, he said, if they call themselves a brother, but they're doing these things, sexual immorality and a swindler and all that. And it says a malicious slanderer, a reviler. He said, with such, don't even eat a meal. That's how strong God feels about it. Romans 16, 17. If those people had not done those things, but had just simply gone to somebody and talked to them, everything could have been smoothed over. There could have been unity. There could have been harmony. But see, people don't take the word seriously. They're not living it out. They do not require repentance of sin and righteous living. I think about, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Whenever there was a guy that, was, that, that they had exposed, he was having sex outside of marriage, and the apostle Paul said, you must excommunicate him out of your fellowship. You cannot tolerate that. A little bit of leaven works through the whole dough. In other words, it'll affect all of you. Get rid of him. And so nowadays, you go to places that... that profess to be churches and, and all that. I'm not being critical, but they have such a mixture of Christian and non-Christian there, and they've got to water down the message to not offend anybody. And I'm telling you, they've got a huge number of people in their congregation that are living together unmarried, having sex outside of marriage. Yet 1 Corinthians chapter 5 said, don't even tolerate one person living in sexual immorality, excommunicate them, keep the fellowship pure. They don't, they're not concerned about that in, in many places anymore. The next thing I would say is this. They're very worldly and very liberal. It's like they're trying to compete or something with the world, but they're liberal. And what I mean by that is they're comfortable with things like abortion, uh, LGBT, transgender, et cetera, et cetera. That has crept into the church. There's been a huge split, specifically in the Methodist, of churches that are leaving the Methodist church because of them now sanctioning homosexual clergy. Who would, who would have thought, you know as well as I do, that, that anybody that was near John Wesley's grave had to feel him turn over in his grave when that started happening, right? Feel the ground rumble just a little bit. But who would have ever thought that that would ever take place in America? And the crazy thing is, when I was a kid, it, it would have never even been conceivable. So much has happened 
in just my lifetime. We have slipped quickly into end-time prophecy. And the last thing I would say is, is that used to, in many circles, especially spirit-filled circles, the sanctuary was viewed as holy ground, a holy place. People, people dressed modestly. People came in with a reverence because they were in God's house, his presence, and all that. Now it's like it's been turned into, in some places, like an auditorium, and they even use that word, and it's a place of more entertainment. And it's almost like trying to compete with the world, trying to compete with the sporting events and, and the excitement of, the, of that, or trying to compete with the entertainment industry, the movie industry, the music industry, and, and all of that. But here's the problem, that it's the entertainment is only going to touch, as, this is as deep as it's ever going to get, is going to be just in the soul of the mind and the emotions. No different than if you went to see a movie and the movie made you laugh or cry. It touched your emotions, but it did not give you an encounter with the Almighty. Maybe it, it touched your intellect or, or maybe it moved you where you wept a little bit, but it didn't change you. It didn't cut to the heart and get down into your spirit and change who you are. No, it's, it's, a, it's some kind of a counterfeit that is, is there to pacify people and it's a form of godliness, but it doesn't have the real actual power of God. Think about on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. Peter steps out, preaches a little sermon, and it wasn't anything great. It was just a little sermon that he preached. But 3,000 people, listen, the Holy Spirit touched them, and the people there said, it says in the Bible they were cut to the heart. They said, brother, what must we do? And he said, repent and believe in Jesus. And they turned to the Lord. Listen, it, what would have happened if Peter was all about a performance or something and it was only soulish level, they would have never been cut to the heart. So we need to get back to the power of God. Now, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not in words but in power. So I remember I've shared this with you guys, but just for the sake of the recording, there was... In one of these colleges, I don't remember now, I think it was UTA maybe, there was a man of God that was sitting with me and was telling me that they've been having debates there for years, open debates. And there was, there was Christians that were going there and debating and they get up and they give their points, other give their points and they, they were debating. And he said, after all these years, I remember it's like seven years, he was sitting there and he, I could tell that he was astounded. He said, I cannot believe it. Not one single person has gotten saved. And I'm just looking at him like, yeah. And I, and I told him, and he couldn't believe I said this. I said, well, I'd be surprised if they did. Because you're just sitting around arguing about points. You're debating them. You're not going to get anybody saved. Debate. Okay, y'all, let's go out on the street and let's have a contest. I want you to debate everybody, their point of view, your point of view, and argue and fuss with them and try to win them over to your arguments. And you tell me when we all meet up how many people got saved. Zero. So here's what's going to happen. You go out there, though, and you, and you preach the word and you give them the pure gospel but under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you're going to come back and tell me some pretty neat stories. 
I saw somebody tear up. I saw somebody really moved. And it's because the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. And then 2 Timothy 3.13, it says, but realize this. Now, this is a common scripture, but we're going to go all the way down. And I'm going to get into some areas that maybe that people don't read all the way down into that part very often. But it says, but realize this, that in the last days, how many knows we're in these days, difficult times will come, perilous times, fierce times in the Greek. For people will be lovers of themselves. I have seen such an increase of selfishness. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers. Again, I just talked about malicious slander and gossip. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, they hold a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid, look at this, avoid such people as these. Avoid them. So the Bible's telling us to not associate with these type of people. And then, and obviously it doesn't mean you don't witness. How many knows there's a difference between witnessing to people and then being their best friends and hanging out all the time? There's a big difference. All right. Verse 6, for among them are those who slip in the households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. So apparently there was a problem with people going into homes and there was immorality and things that were going on. He's exposing. But verse 7, this is very interesting what it's going to say from this point down. They're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men of depraved mind, worthless in regard to the faith. Now, who was Janus and Jambres? Now, Paul used those names, but it was not given to us in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Paul got those names because they're in Jewish writings that he would have read and I've read. And here's what the Jewish writings teach that Paul would have read. They believe that... Um, Balaam, you remember him? Balaam was the most powerful shaman, witch doctor, sorcerer, whatever you want to call him, of his day. He was famous. I mean, he had an audience with kings. In fact, Moab, the king of Moab, was willing to hire him and pay him great sums of money to come and curse Israel for him. This guy, Balaam, according to Jewish writings, had... Uh, access to kings and rulers of the earth they respected him in fact he would have an audience with the pharaoh who was one of the most powerful leaders of that time and these were his two sons and they were the chief sorcerers the magicians that were in pharaoh's court when moses came in and moses was was presenting some signs and wonders before pharaoh the janice and jambres were able to replicate them the first three. And Pharaoh, it hardened Pharaoh's heart because he saw that Moses wasn't doing anything different than what his magicians could do. These are people, we use these words. Let, let me clarify. These are practitioners of witchcraft. They have learned to summon demonic spirits and they have learned to do supernatural things by the power of witchcraft. 
okay? So this, I want you to really see what Paul is saying here because I'm going to give you some things tonight I think that will really shock you. But it says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So Mo, let's just look at one example. Moses took his rod and threw it down. It became a serpent. Janus and Jambres did the same thing. They throw their rods down. They become serpents. But Moses is eight theirs, but it still didn't impress Pharaoh. So there was what was happening there? Let's stop for a minute. Instead of just reading this too quickly, let's stop for a minute. Think about it. What was happening there? The power of God was clashing with the power of Satan witchcraft. There was an open public in front of everybody there clash of supernatural power. And Pharaoh's just watching this play out. And they were able to replicate turning water to blood. The witches could do that. But at some point, I don't have it in front of me to remember, there was like the fourth plague or something like that. Moses did something they could not replicate and they said to Pharaoh, this must be the hand of God. And I want you to think about something I'm just going to say in passing and get off this. But when Balak hired Balaam to come and curse Israel, if there was, listen to what I'm saying and think about it. If there was absolutely nothing to that, if it was a bunch of silly nonsense, just some weirdo on a hill doing some little dance and chant, if that's all it was. Why did God bother himself to confront that man? Why did God send an angel to get in front of him and basically tell him, if you do anything other than what God says for you to do, I will kill you dead. Balaam went there scared. God scared that man. He showed up to Balak the king and said, I'm not going to say anything unless it's okay with God. Now think about it for a minute. Why did God bother himself if there was nothing to it? We're all intelligent people here. Think about that. God's not going to waste his time confronting that guy and sending an angel to confront him, even having the guy's donkey speak. Y'all remember that story? And going through all that trouble if there was nothing to it, God knows that there was a clash of power there. And he knew that Balaam had something that could be effective. And God was basically saying, you're not doing that to my people. But there was a clash there. There was an open clash of power before Pharaoh. And then it says about these, it says, these men opposed the truth. Now think about, let's just go some different places in the scripture. Do you remember a guy named Elamus? In the book of Acts, when Paul went and stood before a leader in Rome and there was a little uh, sorcerer there, some little magician like Janus and Jambres that was opposing what Paul was saying. And Paul got irritated with him and he said, you're going to roam around blind for a little bit because you're opposing the truth. And that guy went blind and groped for a time. And the, the pro-council, whoever it was that was there, it was a leader, was so impressed by the power of God on Paul confronting the power of the devil and overpowering it. Again, an open clash of power. What about when Paul was going to prayer and there was a woman that kept following him around saying, these are servants of the Most High God teaching you the way to be saved. 
and Paul was irritated in the spirit and cast out the demon again he was one of Satan's servants and God's servants there was a clash of power all right so as we keep going here these men opposed the truth men of depraved minds worthless in regard to the faith but they will not make further progress for their foolishness will be obvious to all just as it was also of Janice and Jambres. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord, out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I may have suffered some persecution for your faith. If you're a real Christian, there will be people that persecute you because of it. But here's what I wanted to get to. Verse 13 says this, but evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So when you get into your Bible, I want you to maybe do this if it if it's okay with you. Look up this scripture in your Bible, okay? We're looking at 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, and where it says imposters. Maybe underline that, but that is the Greek word for a sorcerer. Did you know that? People need to know that because in context here, that's why I'm reading this whole thing in context here, Paul is comparing them to Janus and Jambres. And if you go back and look at the story he's talking about, it's a clash of power. And he says here, but, but these type of people, evil people and these sorcerers, people that are involved in the occult will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And you know, there's somebody right now in Disney that is is coming up it's a young lady and I don't remember what show it is don't really care not a big Disney fan anyway but this person is in her personal life deeply involved in the occult and has talked about it openly on shows that she goes on about literally I saw it for myself going to graveyards and summoning spirits and talking to them yet the kids are watching her with Disney and then they're following her as she's teaching them those things do you see why testimonies like my wife's are so important? And let me just stop her and talk about a clash of power for a moment. This is kind of something I wanted to share, if that's okay if me take a brief rabbit trail. So my wife has just been in Pennsylvania, and she's been ministering there with the Gideons, and God's opened a lot of doors for her through the years because of her story. And when she was there, she, she was able to minister to a lot of people that are Amish. And when she told me, she was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ministering, give my testimony to a lot of Amish people. I am within myself. I thought, well, they may not really like your story because they live off by themselves. They're kind of reclusive and that's fine. You know, in today's society, I'm not so much against being a little reclusive here and there, okay? I mean, they do their own thing. They're happy. Leave them alone. But they're out there doing their thing. But I thought to myself, you know, they, they're trying to keep the world out. And I don't know if they're going to like your story. The exact opposite was true. They were so appreciative. 
they asked her to please stay over and speak to their young people. And she was telling me about how it went, and she was talking to them like a mom, and, and she was talking to them about how they need to honor God, honor God's house, honor, uh, honor their parents, and, and they need to be careful with this stuff. And she gave them some of her testimony and the dangers of it. And the, the person that was there with her that was overseeing the young people was crying and said, you've got to come, you've got to come speak to us. And so she's been invited, we'll see when this can happen, to go to like a big farm, one of those big Amish settlements and, and, and speak to all of them because they're like, our young people need to hear this. And they said, not only that, but we need to get you to come to the Christian school that they're a part of. I don't know if it's Amish or if, or if the Amish kids just go to a school but you need to come and talk to our young people because they need to know this. See, these people are smart enough to know that young people need to know the truth and they need to hear it from people like us, right? Because if they don't, where are they going to start hearing it? But here's what I have found. There is also a situation that came up with some people. I would have thought, it's interesting because I thought that the Amish wouldn't be open to it. But I thought for sure, it was kind of a, a non-denominational type ministry. I thought for sure they would be. But man, there, there was some Jezebels that rose up. And let me just assure you, they were not open to my wife's testimony. And these were the people I was talking about. Now, some of them are totally fine with their kids uh, dabbling in the occult with things like Harry Potter. But they, they're, they do not like my wife's story. There's something seriously off when people are comfortable with the darkness and they're uncomfortable when the light comes in. And here's, here's what I would say too. I was talking to my wife and I'm just gonna give you something to think about. And this is just something I speculate on. I wonder about this and I'll just give it to you. But see, I wonder because the Amish, from what I know, don't mess around. I mean, the men there, the husbands, are the leaders of their home. The wives are women. They're submissive to their husbands, and they expect the children to honor obey their parents. Listen to what I'm saying. They've managed to keep a lot of that Jezebel witchcraft out of their community. Okay, there's more. They have not been practicing yoga in the barn with the horses, have they? They're, they're not marking up cutting and piercing up their bodies are they they're not letting their kids watch this type of entertainment and get mixed up in stuff where they're casting spells they've managed to keep the witchcraft out of their community hello and so maybe when the light comes in they're comfortable with the light and maybe some of these so-called christians out there that the husbands aren't really the head of their home. The wives run the show. It's a Jezebel spirit. That there's something rebellious and witchcraft in families. They've opened doors to things through marking up the body, through yoga, through all these ungodly entertainment they're allowing in their lives. Maybe they haven't kept the witchcraft out. And maybe there's more witchcraft in them than what they realize. And maybe when my wife comes in and brings the light, something in them gets ticked off and rises up and wants to oppose her. Just something to think about.
But we're living in a time where we better get that witchcraft out of our lives because the Bible says this whore Babylon, this is a strong spirit of witchcraft, strong. But it says, evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm going to show you a few places in the scriptures as we go that seem to indicate that there's going to be a major rise in witchcraft and Satanism and possibly open clashes of power. Did you know, according to the news media that I follow, and, and I've looked this up, that one of the fastest growing religions in America right now is witchcraft. And among the younger generation, like in the UK here in the West, also Satanism. Now, with that said, is that not a sign of the times? That right before Jesus comes, there's all of this darkness that's beginning. The Bible, Isaiah says it this way, a thick darkness. It calls it a gross darkness in some translations, but a thick darkness would be on the peoples of the earth. But he said upon God's people, the glory would arise and shine upon us. But there would be this thick darkness, and we're seeing it. He says, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of. He's talking to Timothy like a son here, and he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, in the latter days, these things are coming. But he said, for you, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've heard them. There's something to that because there's people that God's used in my life. And not only is it what they've taught me, but there's something about the person that I got it from. Does that make sense? And Paul's saying here, listen, you need, to, you need to really hold on to what I've taught you and remember that I'm the one that taught you this or maybe his mom or grandma too. And you need to remember who you got this information from and this, uh, that you uh, have been taught the scriptures. You need to really hold on to this. And that from your childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching. How many knows we need the word of God? You know, people get offended. I remember this, this is a true story. A guy that used to be a friend of mine, he, he was at work and there was a lady there that was a practicing homosexual, but she also was involved in some church leadership thing somewhere, whatever church that was, don't go there. And she had her Bible out by her computer and he, he walked by because he's going to the restroom, probably going to go play on his phone knowing him. I'm just kidding. But anyway, he's going by um, looking at her Bible, and he saw that there was like a sticky note that had been kind of cut out, kind of small and stuck. And he's like, what in the world? So he, he's being nosy, and he's reading, and it said this in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, 9. It says in there, against homosexuality, she had put a sticky note over that. Let me tell you something. You cannot take your scissors out and cut out every little thing that you don't want to read in the Bible because God hasn't changed. You, instead of you trying to change the Bible, which isn't going to work, you need to let the Bible change you, okay? All right. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. A few more things to read tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about some end time stuff here. Now, somebody apparently was circulating a letter 
and forged Paul's name on it. Identity theft. And so it says this, Paul was dealing with it in the first, the, uh, his second letter here, the Thessalonians. He said, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed by either a spirit, that's interesting, or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. No one is to deceive you in any way. How many knows there's going to be thick deception in these last days? And it says here, for it will not come, that's Jesus is coming. He's saying Jesus will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Some say rebellion, some say falling away. But as I've said many times to you guys, it's the Greek word apostasia. And an apostate is somebody that's walked with the Lord and now they've turned their back on him completely and they forsook the Lord. That's what an apostate is. And so it's predicting here in the scriptures that in the last days that there would be a great falling away of people abandoning the faith. We're seeing that today. It says, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, obviously the Antichrist, who opposes often exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, this is interesting that Paul would know this because this had to be revealed to him directly from God because nobody had talked about this except Jesus Christ taught about it in Matthew 24, and then John was used of God to get revelation. But listen, this was something significant. What he's saying here is this. If you study Revelation, that eventually the Antichrist is going to use the false prophet to bring all the religions together, peace and harmony, coexisting, all of that, and it's going to help the Antichrist come to power. But once he's consolidated his power, he's going to somehow, what seems like in the scriptures, bomb that headquarters and the smoke of it will go up. He's going to destroy it, and he's going to set himself in the temple in Jerusalem and declare himself to be God. So he's going to bomb what the, what the false prophet did to unify religions and coexist and all of this stuff, and he's going to, so let me read this again. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. And he said this, and he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself to be God. So he's going to demand that Israel worship him as God and worship his idol, which they won't. And he said, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things and you know what restrains him now so that he will be revealed in his time. Here's that word again for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he's removed. Did you know that the Antichrist cannot come to power? These things cannot unfold until the right time because God has a restraining force. But it feels like it's trying to come forth right now, doesn't it? It's like, have you guys ever seen somebody that's maybe little, uh, some little lady trying to walk a big dog? Here we go. You know, it takes off on her. She's trying to restrain that thing. It seems like that it's being restrained by God's forces, angels or whatever, 
And it could be the church, it could be the powerful, true church and true intercessors that may be causing a restraining. And then whenever we're removed in what's called the rapture, then that restraining is removed. It could be that. But there's something restraining the enemy where he cannot do it. But then it says in verse 8, then that lawless one, once the restraining is removed, will be revealed whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by his, the appearance of his coming. That is the one, look at this. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Did you see that? Let's go back to what Paul said about Janus and Jambres. There's going to be evil people and imposters. There's going to be a rise of the occult and people that are involved in that. And he said that when the, when the Antichrist comes to power and his false prophet, that they are going to come to power this way with satanic power and false signs and wonders. Just like Pharaoh had his powerful, uh, the, uh, you know, those in the occult that could perform, even some of the signs and wonders uh, Moses brought, they could counterfeit them. They had the power with Satan to do that. In verse 10, it says, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Listen, people are being so deceived nowadays. They're being so deceived in so many ways. They're being made comfortable with things that God hates and they're, they're dabbling in things that's opening them up to spiritual darkness. And it says, because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So eventually, God keeps wooing them. God keeps sending them people to witness to them. They keep hearing the gospel on television, on the internet, maybe on the radio over and over and over. They don't love the truth. They don't want to hear it anymore. They, and finally, they get to a place to where God says, you know what? I've given you so many opportunities. And finally, they're going to be given over to a delusion to believe a lie. Uh, let me show you a couple more things and then we'll pray. Revelation 13, 1. Man, this is really interesting. Revelation 13, it says this, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Who's the dragon? Satan. So Satan, so let's stop for a moment and get an image here of what John's seeing. Satan in the form of a dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. What is the sea? The mass of humanity. This is, the beast here is the Antichrist. He is a man, a human being. He's coming out of the sea of humanity, having 10 horns and seven heads. It sounds like a Leviathan, but this is actually the Antichrist. He's a politician, and he's going to be able to unite the world through politics. He's going to unite the governments like the UN, 
And there's going to be ten horns and seven heads. The ten horns, horns are power, are going to be like land masses, principalities, land masses around the world that are going to serve him. And then it says they had seven heads, which I'll explain in a moment. And on his horns were ten crowns. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Doesn't that sound like the whore of Babylon? Blasphemous names were written. And the beast, which I saw, looked like a leopard. How many know the book of Daniel? That's Greece. His feet were like a bear. What was bear? The Medo-Persian Empire. His mouth like a lion. Who was that? Babylon. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So Satan himself gave this Antichrist. So Satan is going to be like a counterfeit to God the Father. But now he's got his son, if you will, his Messiah, his Antichrist, that he's going to give his throne to, his power, his authority for a time. One of the seven heads, I don't want to get too bogged down with end time prophecy here, but Israel has had seven major enemies down through the ages. And how many knows that principalities don't die? So the same fallen angels that ruled over these empires are going to assist the Antichrist in the end. The seven heads are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Medo-Persian, Rome, and then a final Rome or Babylon. And so there's seven major enemies. So let me just keep reading and we'll come back to this in a moment. Revelation, now let's skip to 17, 8. It says, the beast that you saw was, this is a really confusing scripture. Okay, you ready? The beast that you saw come up out of the sea that had seven heads and ten horns. He was, but he is not now and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. What does that mean? Well, go back up in your notes. Which one is at the time of John's writings? Let's stop for a moment. I want you to get this. It says he was, okay, so which one was but doesn't exist right now? The, the time frame that John lived Rome was the one in power, okay? He said that this was there. It is, it is not now, but it will come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. It's talking about Babylon. It's something that was, but is not right now. Babylon was not at that time. They're in the time of Rome, but it will come up again. And it says this, and those who live on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see this beast this antichrist they're going to see him the whole world is going to wonder after him he's going to have such a witchcraft power about him it's going to be very seducing and it says this beast that you're going to see this antichrist is talking about babylon here he was is not and will come but so here is the mind which has wisdom the seven heads are the seven mountains upon which the woman sits and they are seven kings. Look at this. Five have fallen. Here's where it's more clear. One is, that's Rome, and one is yet to come. When he comes, he will remain for a little while. So five have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Medo-Persian, they had fallen before. 
Rome is, and then it's saying that they would be a new Rome. So how many remember that statue that Nebuchadnezzar made? You remember the statue? He had a dream about a statue, and a stone struck its feet, and so he built this thing and made everybody worship this. Do you remember this? But anyway, he had a dream that Daniel interpreted, and in the dream, the head was gold, which was Babylon. And then it went down to the, the chest and arms of silver, which was the Medo-Persian Empire, which there were two arms, Medo-Persian. Then it went down to the loins of brass, which was Greece, and, and Greece had a way of reproducing itself like no other. And then it went down to two legs of iron. Remember this? The legs of iron were Rome, and Rome was split into an eastern and western empire. But here's the interesting thing to me. Rome, it's like when Israel rejected Christ, it's like God pushed pause on prophecy. And God did not unpause it until Israel became a nation again in 48. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so the whole time... From the days of John all the way till now, those legs of iron run all the way down into ten toes mixed of iron and clay. We're still in the time of this Rome. And so in the end, the ten toes, iron and clay, are the same thing as the ten horns of the beast. It's the same thing. I'm not losing you, am I? So the ten horns or the 10 kings which have not received a kingdom yet, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour, meaning that their reign will not be long. These have one purpose, they give their power and authority to the beast as the Antichrist. Now let's talk about the false prophet and then we'll close out after that. How many like end time prophecy? All right, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So this one didn't come out of the sea. It came out of the earth. I've wondered myself if there's not going to be like a dark satanic ritual of some kind that's going to summon up some kind of an ancient powerful spirit that's going to possess the false prophet and he's going to be able to be very powerful kind of like Balaam was, but he's going to be able to be a very powerful sorcerer. So this beast that comes up out of the earth, now stop for a moment and pay attention to this. He had two horns like a lamb. Who's the lamb of God? Okay, this beast here, this false prophet, looked like the lamb. People thought, I mean, to me, I think of someone like the Pope. When people look at the Pope, who do they think of? Jesus. They think of Christianity, right? I'm not going to sidetrack there. But anyway, he looked like the lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. You're talking about a wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, a master deceiver, a master manipulator that people look at him and they see somebody that, that is representing Christ. And people think that he represents Christ, yet he speaks as the dragon. Verse 12, he exercises all the authority of the first beast, which is the Antichrist, in his presence. 
That sounds just like Pharaoh. That Pharaoh's there. He's a, if Moses is trying to say something to him. And those Janus and Jambres, just like the false prophets, are there to oppose God. And he was there like the right hand of the Antichrist, the false prophet's going to be just like Janus and Jambres. And look at this. He makes the earth and those who live in it worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose fatal wound had been healed. So some Bible scholars wonder if the Antichrist isn't going to have kind of like a death resurrection type of thing where he should have died, he was wounded, but he came back to life, kind of like a counterfeit Christ type of thing. In verse 13, listen to this. The false prophet will perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of the sky to the earth in the presence of all the people like lightning strikes okay he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the first beast just like pharaoh moses comes in is is doing some things janice and jambres in the presence of pharaoh was performing counterfeit signs and wonders to oppose the things of god And this false prophet telling those who live on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Some type of a fake death, if you will, resurrection. But the false prophet is leading the way of perform, performing signs and wonders like Janice and Jambres. And he's the one that's leading the way and the worship of the Antichrist and his idol. What's his idol going to look like? I, I wonder if it's going to be that statue of Baphomet. Maybe not. And it was given to him. This is talking about the false prophet here. It was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. That's the idol. So the Antichrist, just like Nebuchadnezzar, is going to have some type of an idol. He's demanding to be worshipped. But the false prophet is going to be able to do some kind of a ritual that puts life into that thing. Where it, Look at this. Where it says that the image of the beast could even speak and cause all who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You remember the great whore of Babylon, the prostitute, was drunk with the blood of the martyrs. Why? Because it was seducing people to worship idols here, to worship that idol. And those that refused to bow down and worship the idol were killed. Is this all kind of coming together tonight a little bit? You're seeing a clash of supernatural power. And then it goes on to say that this false prophet is so controlling he causes all, small and great, rich and poor, free and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has that mark. And it says the name of the beast or the number of his name was going to be on this mark. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of man. Remember, man was created on the sixth day 
and it's six is the number of sinful man. It says his number will be 666. So there's going to be some type of a mark and people have wondered, maybe technology isn't there yet. What is the mark going to be? But it seems to indicate in places once people took that mark that they opened themselves up to such darkness that it was it almost sounds like there's no going back even though people fight about that but once they take that mark so you wonder what is that is it going to be an implant is it going to be a computer chip is it going to be some type of a, a code or a scanning that that whenever you no longer have to carry around a wallet any longer because all of your cards, everything is maybe in this device, maybe all of your medical history, all of whether or not you took all their vaccines and everything. And you go through and you can scan it at your local Target or whatever, just scan your hand or, you know, for those that are maybe a little weird, put it on their forehead, they lean over and let them scan their forehead, beep, you know, and that's how they pay for their groceries. And if they have some type of a, a medical condition and maybe they collapse on the street, the paramedics can come and just scan their code and get all their medical history. Who knows how far this is going to go with smart cars? Maybe you won't need keys anymore. Maybe when you sit down, this will start your car. As you know, there's already technology of, of self-driving cars, which I will not be getting into, by the way. There was a prophecy of a man of God back, and he was never off. He always nailed it back years ago. The latest this prophecy could have happened would have been the 60s because he died in the 60s. But I believe he made this prophecy many, many years before that. But he said that the Lord showed him before Jesus comes. Now, what did cars look like in the 60s? Big old tanks. Get out of their way. He said before Jesus comes, that they would be small and they would look like an egg, like the shape of an egg. Y'all seen those smart cars? I refuse to drive them. Okay, I don't like them. But anyway, these little bitty cars, and he said this, he said, and also the technology would be there that they would drive themselves. And he had a vision of people sitting, listen to this, sitting in the back seat playing games with each other while the car drove them places. He said, when those things come, he said, the coming of Jesus is right at hand. We're seeing those things in our generation. I just saw a video of two older guys getting into a, a car that was driving itself. They were nervous. <laughs> I would have been too. How, how many do not trust the car to drive itself, okay? I would be constantly trying to reach up and take the wheel, okay? All right, so here's what I want to close with is this. But you're seeing here tonight as we weave through these scriptures and River of Life has enough understanding about end-time prophecies because I teach on it. But you're seeing here the power of Satan clashing with the power of God. So let me just ask this question. Is it not common sense, people of God, that we need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit to keep us strong inside? Okay, we need the infilling. And we need to be clothed with power from on high because there's going to be a clash of power. The kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. And we're gonna need the power of God. So let's read Revelation 2.18 as we close out. And to the angel of the assembly in Thyatira write this, 
These are the words of the Son of God who has eyes that flash like a flame of fire, whose feet glow like bright burnished bronze. He says, I know your record that what you are doing, I believe this is the Amplified, so it's going to have a little bit more wording to it. But he says, I know what you are doing, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your recent works are more numerous and greater than your first ones. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. It seems to be that this spirit loves the prophetic circles and I, and I like prophecy and I believe that God has true prophets out there. But it seems to be that this spirit loves to traffic in the prophetic circles because it can do all kinds of weird, unchecked prophecies. And it says, and who is teaching and leading astray my servants, beguiling them into what? Sexual immorality. Does that not sound exactly like what I've been reading? The whore of Babylon who is leading people astray into idolatry. Are y'all following me? She's leading them astray here and eating food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she has no desire to repent of her immorality, symbolic of idolatry, and refuses to do so. Take note though, People that tolerate witchcraft and this Jezebel spirit and this stuff in their home being out of order and they tolerate idolatry and immorality and all the things and they're going to mess around with the occult. And it says this, I will throw her on a bed of anguish, that's sickness there. And those who commit adultery with her, these are those that are practicing the occult or idolatry and the things she's into, I will bring down to pressing distress and severe affliction unless they turn away from her and repent of those things. I will even strike her children dead, which means her converts, her disciples, those that are, I mean, this is a serious warning here. God is saying, I'm gonna throw them on a bed of sickness and premature death if they don't repent. In all the assemblies shall recognize and understand that I'm the one who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one according to their works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not explored and known the depths of Satan, that's a reference to the occult here. As they say, I tell you, I will not lay upon you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have till I come. He who overcomes this, what are we overcoming here? Witchcraft, the occult, the worship of other gods, those that overcome these things. He said, I will give you authority and power over nations. You will rule over them with a rod of iron and when earthen pots are broken to pieces and that which I have myself have received from the Father, I will give unto you the morning star. He who is able to hear, let him listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. He's saying there, I will give you a rod of iron. Iron is not easily bent. He's saying there, you will have authority to stand up against witchcraft and you will not be able to be manipulated and controlled by it. You'll have widespread authority to dash the nations to pieces like pottery. You know what that is? Authority over principalities and powers. And he said, and I will give you the morning star, great favor. These are those that have been faced 
with the occult, witchcraft, etc., and have overcome these things. But then I leave you with these warnings, Revelation 18, 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive any of her plagues. So I'm warning River of Life, especially some of you young people and those that are listening online. If we participate in these sins of dabbling around with witchcraft and the occult, and we dabble in the things that this spiritual influences into idolatry, the worship of other gods, sexual immorality. We're dabbling in these things. You're going to participate in her sins, the whore of Babylon, and you're going to receive her plagues. And in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does righteousness and lawlessness share together? The mystery of lawlessness. Do you see how all the scriptures are woven together? He says, what does righteousness and lawlessness share together? Or what does light have in common with darkness? And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial, which Belial means lawlessness? Or what does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst of them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. And I'm gonna tell you, as I'm leaving these notes behind, you listen to what I'm saying, River of Life. There is going to be, according to the Bible, a major increase of occult practices, witchcraft, and Satan worship in these last days that will culminate with the coming of the emerging of the false prophet and the Antichrist. People that are messing around with these things are opening themselves up to dark evil forces in their lives that will no doubt prepare them to be deceived to receive the Antichrist. They are being prepared, they're being groomed to receive the mark. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible's warning us to come out from among them and do not participate in these sins. Be holy. Keep yourself sexually pure. Don't defile your body with all these ungodly substances. Do not worship other gods. Stay away from the occult and teach your kids to do the same. Do not defile yourself in any way because those that are doing that are being overtaken with demonic forces, with spiritual darkness. And I'm telling you that it's leading them on a trajectory spiritually that is going to connect one day with the emergence of the Antichrist. And I do not believe it's far off. Isn't it interesting that even in America, Judeo-Christian heritage, that people seems to be totally obsessed now with tattooing their bodies, yet the Bible warns us not to do it. And think about this. What is the false prophet going to do? Mark your body. There's something that's trying to get people comfortable with taking a mark on their body. Hello? So, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, you've called us to be a holy people. People should look at us and see that there's something radically different from the world. 
We think different. We talk different. We act different. We dress different. We live holy. We are a righteous people. And Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit even now falling upon every one of us and convicting us of things that we need to repent of and changing us. Lord, that we can be a holy people unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, let it come. And even now as I'm praying, Holy Spirit, come and convict all of us or those online, those that are going to be listening to this, those that are listening to a podcast or watching a video. Holy Spirit, we ask you come and convict us of things that we need to repent of. Bring things to our minds. Arrest our attention. Don't let us be apathetic. Don't let us be complacent. Don't let us be comfortable in our sin. Lord, we ask you, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, remove the numbness to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit, remove the crookedness out of our thinking. Lord, rip away the veil of deception that has blinded us. Cause us to be so gripped with the fear of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we will fall upon our knees and really repent and change and get ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. And let me give a quick testimony of a dear friend. I don't want to say a name because the name, it's kind of personal. But he had a grandson that grew up in church but began to be really way, wayward. And he was really praying for him. And this friend of mine is a mighty man of God. He was really interceding for his grandson. And he said that his grandson was at work and had this experience, which is kind of funny, but I mean, it's not. He said that he heard as, I mean, loud, like a train horn. He swears, I heard a shofar blast. And he said it was so loud, it scared me, it jolted me. And I just knew the rapture happened and I missed it because he was not living right. So the first thing he does is start calling people that he knew were right with God. And when they answer the phone, he said, hey, hey, are you, you doing okay? You there? And they say, yeah, what's up? He said, never mind, I got to go. Click, hung up on. He just wanted to make sure that they were still here. This, <laughs> no, it's funny. This so shook him to the core that he realized, look, I haven't been living right. I've been messing around. That really could have happened to me. And he really repented and got right with God. And, he, and he's been, he got with his youth pastor and said, I want to start serving the Lord and helping you. And he's going after God now. And he's a transformed young man. But I'm going to tell you, young people, don't look at some backslidden, fake things around you, things that are not right, people that are not real. When that shofar sounds, they're not going. You don't be a part of those that aren't going. You need to be getting with on fire people that are ready when the Lord comes in that way. All right, I want to pray for people.